Hey, this is Dr. Patty Sadala. Welcome to my Experience Jesus podcast. This episode is part of a three-part series that was inspired by questions posed to me by a sincere skeptic who is wrestling with what he describes as three major conundrums about God and Christianity. The three topics addressed by these three episodes are the apparent hiddenness of God. Is God really there? The problem of pain and evil. Why would a good God allow so much pain and suffering? And the vast over-engineering of the universe. Why would God create all of this just for us? Make sure you check out all three of these episodes and share them with your favorite skeptics. In this episode, we're going to tackle conundrum number three. Key questions that you may have about God. Was he really the intelligent creator, designer, or did all creation, people, and the universe come by some random Big Bang incident? And if there is a creator, why would he create all of this just for little old us? We will look at science and its relationship to God. We will look at the universal laws of logic and how you can prove or disprove the existence of God as the creator, and we will allow Jesus an opportunity to explain himself. Let's begin by addressing the relationship between science and God. What we know or presume to know scientifically changes all the time based on new scientific discoveries. Christians understand that science is actually the discoverer of understanding God's world. God is unchanging, while science is a discovery of God's creation, and the more we study it, the more we learn. Science is not at odds with the notion of an intelligent designer or creator. It actually confirms it. Many consider science as being somehow opposite of God. That assumes that intellectual facts somehow must not exist if faith in God exists. This episode will show that faith in God is not only based on facts, but also not limited by them. People interpret data as evidence filtered through certain fundamental assumptions. When you expect the data to show you something you see in a way where it shows you exactly what you're looking for, you tend to see it that way. When data goes against what you expect, people tend to disregard or dismiss that data as unreliable. The same evidence presented with a different starting assumption will lead to different conclusions. Considering the creation of the Earth and all its living components and outer space, you either begin with the assumption that all these things were self-created somehow, or God created them. Practically speaking, this is not a debate about facts versus faith, but actually one of faith versus another kind of faith. Both sides believe in the axiom of their starting assumptions, faith in science or faith in God. Both sides can be looked at with the same data and still come to different conclusions. Here is a case in point. This next segment is from an article by David Catchpool entitled Double Decade Dinosaur Disquiet. For 20 years now, dino bones have progressively divulged their contents to researchers who did not expect to find things like DNA and radiocarbon millions of years after dinosaurs supposedly were extinct. Many dinosaur fossils include real bone. They are not completely mineralized, i.e. not yet rock. And what is found inside those dinosaur bones is a huge surprise to many people. A series of discoveries since the early 1990s has revealed dino bones with blood cells, hemoglobin, fragile proteins, and soft tissues, 
such as flexible ligaments and bone vessels, and of special note, DNA and radiocarbon. This is enormously confronting to evolutionists because how could such bones possibly be 65 million years old? One of the researchers involved in this discovery of dinosaur blood cells is Dr. Mary Schweitzer. And she said, if you take a blood sample and you stick it on a shelf and you have nothing recognizable in about a week, so why would there be anything left in a dinosaur? Why indeed? Unless, of course, they haven't been extinct for millions of years and the remains were preserved quickly under catastrophic conditions a few thousand years ago. But so entrenched in the evolutionary paradigm in the scientific community that it soon became known that Dr. Schweitzer was having trouble getting her results published. I had one reviewer tell me that he didn't care what the data said. He knew that it wasn't possible, said Schweitzer. I wrote back and said, well, what data would convince you? And he said, none. What catastrophic incident could possibly have caused that to happen? The flood of Noah. I will link below a short video with scientific standing related to the theory of a younger Earth that is proposed by evolutionists data to support the theory that dinosaurs were made extinct by the flood of Noah. See that link below this episode of pattyej.podbean.com. Have you ever noticed that the continents look like a giant puzzle piece? Pangaea is the name presumed to be the supercontinent that would have contained all land masses before the flood. Pan meaning all and Gia meaning earth. In Genesis 1.9 it says, And then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place of standing pooling together and let the dry land appear. And so it was so. We won't go down the bunny trail of the science behind the flood, but I do have a link to a video that scientifically explains how the flood of Noah can be theoretically possible as proven evidence found on the earth and the breaking up of the contents from what could have been one large landmass, Pangaea, and explains how this one catastrophic incident that took one year could explain how fossils and land animals, including dinosaurs, along with fish and other water-based animals, could be found in unlikely places together. Look for that link as well on this episode at pattyej.podbean.com. Is God the creator and intelligent designer? God's order is evident in creation, but a scientist in the 11th century was able to mathematically identify a pattern in nature that is simply mind-boggling. Leonardo of Pisa, also known as Fibonacci, discovered a pattern when trying to predict the number of rabbits to be bred in a single year by adding the sum of the last preceding number of two numbers in a sequence, beginning with 1 plus 1 equals 2, 1 plus 2 equals 3, 2 plus 3 equals 5, and so on. Fibonacci discovered that when mapped out, this pattern had no end and looked like a spiral. This is called the golden ratio, and it is mathematically 1 to 1.6. It was discovered that this mathematical pattern is found everywhere in nature, from the swirl of the stars in the galaxy to flower petals, tree proportions, and even your own face and body and bones, and even at the molecular level when looking at microscopic cells. Architects use the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio in building planning, and other industries use it as well. 
It is found so commonly in nature that it's called the fingerprint of God. I will include a link below to the video that will explain this, but right now I'm going to share the audio of this video here. Individuality, the trademark of any artist, designer, architect. Each desires a uniqueness to their creation, a quality that separates it from any other. Man naturally has this individuality, his fingerprint. There are 6.5 billion people on the face of the earth, and no two fingerprints are the same. Everything we touch or make contact with is branded with a small expressed image revealing to all who see it who was there. Around 1200 AD, a man named Leonard Pisano, better known as Fibonacci, discovered a sequence of numbers that created a very interesting pattern. The sequence begins with the numbers 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, and continues indefinitely. Each number is obtained by adding the last two digits together. A rectangle with a length and width of any two of the numbers of this sequence forms what is known as the golden rectangle, a perfect rectangle. A golden rectangle can be broken down into squares the size of the next Fibonacci numbers down and below. If we were to take a perfect or golden rectangle, break it down into smaller squares based on Fibonacci's sequence, and divide each with an arc, the patterns begin to take shape. We begin to see Fibonacci's spiral. The spiral in and of itself is insignificant. Its importance is revealed in where we find it. Take for example the sunflower. The display of its florets are in perfect spirals of 55, 34, and 21, the sequence of Fibonacci. The fruitlets of the pineapple create the same spiral based on the sequence. The pine cone does the same. As currents move through the ocean and the tide rolls onto the shore, the waves that bring in the tide curve into a spiral that can be mathematically diagrammed onto a plot at the points 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, and 55. Buds on trees, sand dollars, starfish, petals on flowers, and especially the nautilus shell are formed with this exact same blueprint. With each segment of growth, the nautilus adds to itself one more value on Fibonacci's scale. This blueprint can be seen around us on a small scale every day, but the greatest example of all is directly above our heads. At an average of 100,000 light years across, even the spiral of the galaxies above us are formed with the exact design that the tiny shell is formed. This sequence, our blueprint, appears to be the trademark of a designer, a proof of a creator, something left behind indicating the one who was there, a fingerprint. As we scan our universe from the tiny flower to the awe-inspiring galaxy, we see the fingerprint of God. Let's look at some laws of logic that are proven even by experience in this life. God built them into us to be able to understand what's going on around us. 18th century Christian apologist Jonathan Edwards taught about the three laws that are embedded in the created order and revealed in creation. They are 
the law of non-contradiction, the law of causality, and the basic reliability of sense perception. These three laws are built into creation and actually validated by the Bible, as the teaching and direction in the Bible are also consistent with these three laws. Truth cannot contradict itself. In other words, it doesn't change from time to time. Truth is always true. This is what is meant by the law of non-contradiction. The law states that something cannot be both true and not true at the same time when dealing with the same context. I believe that gravity is an invisible force that pulls objects toward the ground, and you believe that gravity does not exist and has no power to pull objects toward the ground, one of us is wrong. The same is true for the statement, God is real for me, but God is not real for you. The realness of God is not a factor for you or me or any more than the definition of gravity can be a moving goalpost based on what you think about it in the moment. God is, was, and always will be God. Your belief or agreement with that fact cannot contradict the truth of the fact. You may think it does, but it doesn't. Gravity does not care if you understand or agree with it. Gravity will make you fall off a cliff. God gave us the need to know all about him, and he has revealed his nature, character, will, plans, and the rules of this life and the next life in the Bible. It's not a matter of faith without facts. It is faith backed up by facts. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error, and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scientific law of causality, or the law of cause and effect, states that every material effect must have an adequate, simultaneous cause. Everything that has had a beginning had a cause. The Big Bang Theory, commonly accepted by scientific non-believing community, asserts that the universe made itself. Life made itself, and the diversity of life forms on Earth made themselves. This is the assumption of a grand scheme of cosmic evolution, but everything making itself from nothing contradicts something that is affirmed by every scientific experiment ever done. At the core, science operates under the law of cause and effect, that things do not happen without a sufficient cause behind them. Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were born, or before you had given birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are the eternal God. God had no beginning, and therefore he had no cause. It is hard for us to wrap our heads around the statement that God always was, is, and always will be eternal. This is a supernatural, not limited or natural realm truth. God is not bound by the limitations of this world. But we know that creation had a beginning, and therefore must have had a cause. God takes credit for this creation. God is not limited or subject to the limitation of his creation. A painting doesn't have more innate capability than the artist that painted it. Theologian R.C. Sproul takes on all three of the laws of logic in his book, Not a Chance, 
The Myth of Chance in Modern Science and Cosmology. Here's a segment from a book review about this book. Subatomic particles disappear and reappear in what appears to be random locations. But does this mean that there are effects without a cause? Surely this is scientific evidence that if the law of causality applies, it does not necessarily apply everywhere. No, argues Sproul, because an effect is, by definition, that which has an antecedent cause. Is there a possibility that a scientist is witnessing uncaused effects in his quantum laboratory? No, because uncaused effects represent a contradiction in terms. What arrogance is assumed in such a scientific conclusion that there are effects without a cause? Such a claim presupposes omniscience, and Sproul is not ready to concede that omniscience is an attribute of any human or outcome of an accumulated human endeavor. To say that we know a given effect has no cause presupposes that we have full knowledge of every possible cause in the universe. That requires total knowledge of all that there is. In other words, the law of causality and the law of non-contradiction form a fearsome opponent to the arguments that attempt to leave God out of the discussion on the origins of the universe. To be free of causality is to be free of logic. A license is given for making nonsense statements with impunity. The only exception to the law of causality is not found in the quantum mechanics laboratory, but must be something that exists necessarily and therefore has no beginning. The law of basic reliability is about dependability, consistency, and resulting expectations. In ordinary life, it can also be thought of something having aha validity. Ken Blanchard was a keynote speaker at a leadership conference for which I was also a speaker in the 1980s. And I had a conversation with him about leadership theory that I wanted to write a book about. When I asked him how much research and proof is required to release a new leadership idea, he asked, does it have aha validity? In other words, is it consistently true in normal human experience? I never forgot that. We see the law of basic reliability of sense perception even in babies who react to improbable situations with surprise. Before they have language or vocabulary, they understand that playing peekaboo is an unexpected behavior and the surprise of it makes them react. If the sun suddenly stopped rising every day and setting every night, you would know there was something wrong. And even though you know that the sun is a ball of gas, you would not be able to create it or understand how our world could exist apart from it. God reveals the law of basic reliability in the rules of nature, such as the predictability of the seasons, seeing what happens when a seed transforms into a fruit-bearing plant, and the procreation of all life. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. See Hebrews 13.8. His goalposts and rules Don't shift with cultural whims or the latest scientific assumptions. He knows the truth because he is the truth. John 14.6 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the only way to God, and the real truth, and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Former atheist C.S. Lewis speaks of this thought process as related to these laws of logic. 
If the solar system was brought about by an accidental collusion, then the appearance of organic life on this planet was also an accident, and the whole evolution of man was also accidental. If so, then all our present thoughts were mere accidents, the accident byproduct of the movement of atoms, and this holds for the thoughts of the materialists and astronomers as well as for anyone else. But if the thoughts, i.e. of materialism or astronomy, are merely accidental type byproducts, why should we believe them to be true? I see no reason for believing that one accident should be able to give me correct account of all other accidents. It's like expecting that the accidental shape taken by a splash when you upset a milk jug should give you a correct account of how the jug was made and why it was upset. The Bible offers a sound worldview and accounts for what you see around you. Christian philosopher Thomas Nagel has acknowledged that the modern evolutionary view of origins, that which the atheists call the creation myth, is incoherent. When a chain of reasoning leads you to deny the obvious, we should be able to check the chain of reasoning before we give up on the obvious. The mounds of evidence, including the fingerprint of God we see in Fibonacci sequence, as well as the intelligent design of all creation, lies in the face of the logic that assumes a random Big Bang theory. An atheist belief that our existence is a cosmic accident, or origins dependent on random events or biological mutations, is a self-reputing position. Romans 1, 18-23 says, For God does not overlook the sin of, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who in their wickedness suppress and stifle the truth, because that which is known by God is evident within them in their inner consciousness, for God made it evident to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through his workmanship, all creation, the wonderful things he has made, so that they who fail to believe and trust in him are without excuse and without defense. For even though they knew God as the creator, they did not honor him as God or give thanks for his wondrous creation. On the contrary, they became worthless in their thinking, godless and pointless reasonings and silly speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God for an image, worthless idols, in the shape of mortal man and birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. Why is the universe so big? God is the creator. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. Humans struggle with the vastness of the universe because we think in a limited time-space dimension of Earth. The glory of the Lord is shown in the vastness of his creation. God is immeasurable, and he is always creating. Even the vibrations in space are caused by his voice. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, does not become tired or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God doesn't need a reason or I should say we don't need to know his reason for every majestic, magnanimous thing that he does. All you have to do is look at creation and know you could never have created it. Seeing the vastness of the galaxies and the stars show us the vastness of the Creator God. 
God reveals his omni-nature in all creation. I have done an entire episode on understanding the creator and break down how you see in nature all four of God's omni-characteristics, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omnibenevolence. You can check out that episode below this one on the pattyej.podbean.com site. But let's take a moment to talk about one of them as we address the question, why did he create all of this just for us? The frequency of God's love is God's omnibenevolence. God is love. The word tells us that he spoke the world into existence and sustains it by his power. At the most basic level, everything has a frequency. When God created the universe, the newly created atoms were spinning harmoniously according to the vibration of his voice and the created order. They were programmed to respond to his voice. God is not only the creator, but the sustainer of all creation. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created and exist through him, that is by his activity and for him. And he himself existed and is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He is the cohesive force of the universe. But why did he create everything? We learn his motivation in the book of Acts. Acts 17, 26 to 28. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands and territories. This was so that they would seek God, if perhaps might grasp for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. That is, in him we actually have our being. As even some of our own poets have said, for we are all his children. He made us all so he could have a relationship with you and me. Everything God does is motivated by love, not because he feels love, but because he is love. His heart longing is revealed in this verse for us to want to love him back. He continually loves us unconditionally. God's perfect love is his omnibenevolence. Omni means perfect, complete, and full. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is heaven's tuning fork of God's perfect vibration of love. When Adam and Eve sinned for the first time, it broke our natural ability to connect with God's love. But Jesus finished the work on the cross and restored our ability to be able to tap into that love vibration by using the eyes and ears of our heart to once again connect with his heart. This was addressed in our first episode of the Conundrum series, Is God There?, linked below this episode of pattyej.podbean.com. In that episode, we looked at quantum physics and discovered the observer effect, 
where we learn that speaking and observing can manifest the invisible will of God into the physical material world. Miracles define natural physics, but can be understood in quantum physics because they have the same non-local properties. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith, that is, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God, we understand that the world's universe and ages were framed and created, formed, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of things which are visible. There are many verses that topically address the veil in the Bible. The veil represents the barrier between you and God. It can be a mental barrier or a physical one like it was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament days. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, he allows us to see things from his perspective and he removes the veil. There is no barrier when you're able to see what Jesus sees, say what he says, feel what he feels, and think his thoughts. 2 Corinthians 3.15-18 says, Only Christ can get rid of the veil so they can see for themselves that there's nothing there. Whenever, though, they turn their face to God as Moses did, God removes the veil and there they are, face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living personal presence not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it, all of us. Nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our life and we become like him. When the veil is removed, there is an opening to connect the spiritual realm to the physical realm. Whenever we fix our eyes on Jesus and tune to him by way of the Holy Spirit, we are stepping through from the physical dimension into the spiritual. Understanding that we have the authority to do that is so critical to being able to exercise the power that comes with that authority. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. This signified that the barrier that separated us from the intimacy with the Father was taken down. We now had the opportunity for direct access to the very heart of God available to us. We must accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior to exercise that right. Speaking of the quantum world, Phil Mason explains the veil this way. As we explore this dimension of non-local quantum reality in greater depth, I will propose that this invisible layer of quantum reality acts as some kind of interface between the presence and the power of God who exists in the spiritual realm and the world of matter. The non-local quantum world appears to be kind of invisible, intermediate buffer zone between the spirit and matter. It appears that the non-local quantum realm has been strategically crafted by God to be directly responsive to the influence of activity of the Spirit of God so that these non-local quantum realities are capable of materializing into localized spatial formation. Quantum realities are the building blocks of all matter. There are many examples in the Bible of materialism and dematerialism miracles. All of these miracles defy the physical rules of our natural world. 
Jesus turning water into wine or multiplying the loaves and the fish, Elijah being taken up in heaven by chariots of fire, Jesus appeared before the disciples post-resurrection from nowhere. I believe each of these examples and many more are examples of how God shows us what can be done when we live without the limitations of a veil. It all comes when we are clear exactly how big our God really is and how much authority we have as his children to step into the realm of the supernatural while still living here in the natural world. It takes more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. An agnostic takes the position that they don't know if God exists. In other words, God might exist and God might not exist. Yet, an atheist declares that God does not exist. And Christians confess that God is the supreme creator and ruler of the universe who made the world and everything in it. There is far more evidence in the Christian worldview for God existing than there is for him not existing. As mentioned in a previously referenced Is God There? Skeptic Conundrum episode number one, there are 353 fulfilled prophecies in the Bible about Jesus as the Savior. God is a supernatural supreme being that exists outside the boundaries and limitations of his creation. We see God in nature, character, and complex intellectual design in creation. God has shown himself through the word of God and experience to be knowable, personal, and revealed to us all that we need to know about him in the Bible. And for those who accept him as his Lord and Savior, he gives us the ability to have direct personal encounters that can tap into his very mind, will, and emotion. Many unbelievers never crack open a Bible to explore what it says, yet declare that there is no God without any evidence to prove it. They don't do any substantial research on either the validity of the Bible or look for evidence to support their own belief system that there is no God. Former atheist Lee Strobel set out to disprove Christianity and his journey led to his salvation. In his book, The Case for Christ, a journalist's personal investigation of the evidence for Jesus, Strobel shares his journey and the findings that led him to his conclusion. He studied historical records, biographical data, archaeological records, and psychological evidence that examined statements in the Bible about Jesus' life, ministry, and resurrection. Strobel's research led him to the conclusion that Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah and the incarnate Son of God who was raised from the dead. Here is a series of quotes by Lee Strobel about his journey to Jesus and the transformational experience of writing his book. This is what he had to say about the season before the journey. To be honest, I didn't want to believe that Christianity could radically transform someone's character and values. It was much easier to raise doubts and manufacture outrageous objections than to consider the possibility that God actually could trigger a revolutionary turnaround such a depraved and degenerate life. And this is what he said about the reason that he set his sails for this exploration. I saw the positive changes in my wife. I never heard the real message of Christ before, and I didn't believe. But if it's true, this would have huge implications for my life. This is what he said about what caused his decision for Christ after two years of research. In short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist. 
He never promised such things. Indeed, following him would inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. And then this is what he had to say about his personal transformation after making that decision. Sure enough, over time, as I endeavored to follow Jesus' teachings and open myself up to his transformational power, my priorities, my values, my character were and continue to be gradually changed. In fact, so radical was the difference in my life that a few months after I became a follower of Jesus, our five-year-old daughter Allison went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he has done for Daddy. Here was a little girl who had only known a father who was profane, angry, verbally harsh, and all too often absent. And even though she had never interviewed a scholar, never analyzed the data, never investigated historical evidence, she had seen up close the influence that Jesus can have on a person's life. And in effect, she was saying, if this is what God does to a human being, that's what I want for me. That's what it's really all about. God's transformational love can be seen by others and it can be contagious. I encourage you to read The Case for Christ, a journalist's personal investigation of the evidence for Jesus by Lee Strobel. It really is amazing to see how reliable the Word of God is through the eyes of someone who is trying to disprove it. Atheists have not been able to show evidence that God does not exist at all. Yet, they call the notion of believing in God irrational. Science is a moving target, and yet people have no trouble putting their faith in that moving target. In order to prove that God does not exist, you would have to be virtually God yourself. You would have to have complete knowledge of all time and space. Atheism is not a lack of belief in God. It is a strong belief in the lack of God. A strong belief should have strong logical backup. Yet there is no compelling evidence against the existence of God. None of the three laws of logic can be applied to this position. It is a faith in the belief system just like any kind of religion. Yet atheists demand the burden of proof for God's existence, but don't seem to think it's necessary to have a burden of proof against the belief in God. Nature and science have actually shown us much more likelihood of the existence of an intelligent designer. No creation is greater than or exists apart from its creator. The Bible is the most validated book that has ever been studied. And related to the historicity of Jesus, no man has ever left a more indelible mark. Even our calendars are marked by Jesus' life. Many former atheists, including Josh McDowell and C.S. Lewis, went on sincere missions to disprove Christianity, just like Strobel. And they came to the conclusion that the facts for God and Jesus being the Son of God were irrefutable. All of them became mighty men of God, transformed into Christ's likeness and releasing amazing truths and miraculous outcomes. They discovered that the Bible was validated, even though it was nearly 2,000 years of writing, and claims for Jesus were solidly verified. 
Whether they became Christians because of their discovery of the facts, their lives were not transformed because of those facts. Learning the answers to those questions does not have the power to save. It is because of that journey they encountered the supernatural and transformational power of the living God. So, it's time for us to ask Jesus what he has to say about it. And this is what he said. Everything I do is motivated by love. I created the heavens, the earth, and all creatures because of love. I chose mankind to have the power of contrary choice because I wanted only those who wanted me to live with me eternally. When you consider the over-engineering of the universe is simply a revelation of the vastness of my glory. I am light and light casts out all darkness. The stars reveal my nature, character, and creative design. It's not big to me. I cannot be contained. People are my most treasured of all creations. I created people with the capability to seek and find me and provided the instructions for them to do so in the word of God. I inspired every writer of the Bible, speaking and showing them what to write down and protecting that message for centuries so that you have a GPS for finding me. I never promised this world would be easy, but I do promise that I will be there supernaturally to get you through anything when you face it. And I do promise a utopian life eternally for those who accept my gift of salvation. That promise was never for this world on earth, but always for the new heaven. It's all laid out in the Bible. Every promise, every condition, it's all there, hidden in plain sight. Because you must surrender to me to even be able to have the wisdom to understand that. True wisdom comes from surrendering your limited mind and will to my omni-mind and will. And the ability to do that is there for you with the simple act of the surrender and agreement of salvation. Would an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, and all-loving God create an illogical world? The notion is ridiculous. The most ironic thing about skeptics and atheists is that they want a utopian world with no suffering and pain and miss that I offer that very thing. It just requires a surrender of everything you think you know so you can learn the truth. And that perfect world with no pain and evil is planned with clear instructions for how to receive it. But that perfect reality is for the next life, the eternal life. And the choice to receive it needs to be made in this life. And yet, even though the pathway to what they really want and need is right in front of them, they dig in their heels and refuse to see it. Not all roads on earth lead to your driveway, and the same is true for me. To get what you say you want, you must ask me for my address and plug it into the GPS for my house and drive there. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and your heart is prompted to do that now, or if you are already saved, but you have fallen away and want to rededicate your life, at this time, in your own way, just simply say, Lord, I want you in my life. I give my heart to you. Please come in, bring the Holy Spirit, and show me the way to how to live the life that you have created for me before the foundations of the earth were laid. I surrender to you, and I welcome you now to become my Lord and Savior. Thank you for what you accomplished for me on the cross, and I praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer with a sincere heart, welcome to the family of God, and God bless your journey.
In a minute, I'm going to lead you through a special place encounter. Once you have established in a special place with Jesus, you can go there at any time and have any question that you have on your heart answered. I share in great detail the biblical foundations in the trailer episode at the pattyej.podbean.com site and in the part one, Is God There? Skeptics conundrum. I go into a bit of detail about it there too. But right now, all you need to do is really relax and um, listen to my voice and allow yourself to see yourself as a child and picture and see and hear what I'm speaking into as a prompt. And then as soon as you see Jesus show up, the question that you're going to ask him today is to show you the truth about him that will set you free and ask him any questions that you have on your heart. So right now I'm going to walk you through the encounter. So make sure you are comfortable and you can stop this tape at any time, take all the time that you need and make sure that you ask the Lord the question, any questions that you have on your heart at the end when he shows up. Okay, so I want you to take a couple deep breaths. Make sure you're in a comfortable place, no one to disturb you. And take a a few moments. If there's anything distracting on your mind, pick a piece of paper, write down those things, and your mind will let them go. We're going to begin after we take a few breaths. Breathing in. And now relaxing your body. I want you to see yourself as a child. Look at your hands and your feet. You're between the ages of four and eight years old. Pay attention to what you're wearing. And just feel what it feels like to be a kid again, just for a second. All right, now the next thing you see is an elevator. And we're going to be paying attention to every sense, what we see and hear and feel and think. I want you to push the elevator button. The doors open. And you walk inside the elevator. There's only one button on the elevator. It's really big and it just says Jesus. You push the Jesus button, doors close, and now you feel the movement of the elevator moving you. You've got some excitement about it. When the doors open, they open to a beautiful, beautiful place. I want you to step out of the elevator and start to explore this place. I want you to look using all of your senses, sensing things on your skin, smells, sounds, colors. Look to the left, take everything in. Then look to the right, 
all that you see and hear and feel. Look up. Look down. And then when you turn around, you see Jesus walking toward you with a big smile on his face. He's so happy you're there. He's so excited to see you. He picks up your little body and he swings you around. And you're just delighted. He gives you a kiss on the forehead. And then he puts you down. And together you begin to explore your place. And then here's the opportunity for you to ask any question that you have about creation, about him as a creator. And your particular question is to show you the truth that will set you free. Take all the time you need. Pay attention to what you see, hear, feel, and think. And allow Jesus to explain things to you. Stop the, t the recording and come back when you are done. Well, I hope that you learned that science and God are not opposites and that it is quite logical to believe in God the Creator and to believe for Him as your Lord and Savior. And I hope that this three-part Skeptics series has been enlightening to you and that you will ask God as many questions as you have on your heart. I hope that if you have not already accepted Jesus into your heart, that you have been given a lot of things to think about and ponder, and you can ask Jesus absolutely anything. So I hope you have found this to be helpful. And I hope you will join us on this podcast adventure. Follow this podcast and forward it to others that you think may be blessed by it. And check out all the links below. They are designed to take you deeper. I thank God for you and bless you in Jesus' name.